0: Welcome to Dance to Heal. I'm your host, Jenny C. Cohen. Join me as I share stories of how dance and movement can bring healing in a way that is safe and tailored to your life. I'm a cancer survivor, mother of two, and an award-winning performer who found that movement was vital to my recovery. I created Dance to Heal Wellness and also authored the best-selling book, Outside in Recovery, Dancing My Way Back to Myself After Breast Cancer. I will bring new techniques to help you on your dance journey and healing path. Are you ready to move? Dance to Heal starts now. Lauren Elise Peterson, MSBC DMT, is a board-certified dance movement therapist who specializes in working with trauma, eating disorders, and body image. Lauren also works with other clinicians to help them learn to cope with vicarious trauma from working in a helping profession. So without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure, oh my gosh, to introduce you to Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Hi, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you. So I gave them some of the the jargon of your degree in education. Could you just tell the audience and show the audience, kind of what do you do? Yeah, so I use my
1: background in dance movement therapy to help people feel better in their bodies, both physically and emotionally. So I use somatic tools to help people connect, ground, heal from trauma or vicarious trauma and burnout. And in the meantime, that impacts our way that we feel about ourselves, our body image. And I I have found that movement is, for me, the best way to work with people. We, of course, do talking as well, but moving is
0: really, as you know, how we heal. Oh, I love that. So just because sometimes different, I've noticed different people have different definitions of what somatic means. So
1: mm-hmm. could you define
0: your actual orientation of when you say somatic
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. So the short answer for me is body-based. So connecting to the body. But the longer answer for how I interpret the word somatic is we're connecting with our bodies in a way that's really from the inside out, not some external force being imposed on our bodies. Because our culture these days is very disconnected from what our bodies actually naturally want and need. Uh, we think about like when to get up, when to feed ourselves, when to stop feeding ourselves, what to feed ourselves. And all of that disconnects us from the wisdom that our body has within us already. So i view somatics as a way to listen to your body's innate, natural
0: wisdom rather than an external force. Oh, I love that. I love that. I remember when I, there's a professor of dance at Boulder by the name of Donna Mejia, right? And I remember her being one of the first people in actual lecture to say, you know, your body is almost, it's basically a sentient being just trying to serve you to the best of its ability. And yet we don't reciprocate. We forget. To tune in, what does your body need versus us saying, "Well, I think I need to lose weight." So, body, you will do that, and the body's like, "I'm trying."
1: Right? Exactly.
0: Yeah, I think that's a beautiful
1: way to look at it, and it's so different from the way many aspects of our culture looks at our bodies. Our bodies are something that we're supposed to manipulate and turn into something that we can put on Instagram. (laughs) So, I (laughs) knew.
0: I mean, I, I've run into people who are trying to heal and they say no to dance. And mm. yet I asked them, we were talking about this before I hit the record button, right? That no, I won't dance. Do you listen to music? Occasionally. Do you move to your favorite song? Yes. Okay. You've been dancing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's okay. You know, I'm not saying that I'd be like, aha, it's more like, yeah, you've been dancing already. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you to help us because when I first started working in trauma aware or trauma informed ways, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of people say to me, oh, no, I had a great childhood. I I have no trauma in my life. And for me, it's more not the aha, but more, Mm -hmm. okay. well, now we all have gone through vicarious trauma of some sort through this global panini. (laughs) We've gone through Like the global panini has happened, so it is even the playing field. We've all suffered in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm even hearing from colleagues in life coaching that there are clients who have no trauma, yet they're just done peopling. They just don't want to be out or and or there's so much stress for them to be near people. Yeah. And what what are some suggestions you could give us generally and how to manage this burnout? Yeah. And also vicarious trauma. Yeah. Um,
1: It's such a tricky conversation because I do think there's there's a growing understanding of what trauma is, but it's still for many people. The default is a very specific form of a PTSD reaction, like from combat, maybe Um, that's for a while. What we saw on you know, the screens of Hollywood projected to us. Um, But actually, at this stage, like you've said, we've all been through something that most people would call a global trauma. Um, When something is that pervasive uh, for so long, where we have to, in our nervous system, get used to figuring out what's safe, what's not, there's an automatic hypervigilance that comes with that. And even if you have never experienced any trauma, quote unquote, in your life, which I I would argue <laughs> because I think a lot of people don't know what can, what can be trauma. But even if someone believes that they haven't, what ends up happening from that constant state of hypervigilance, like what we just went through around the globe, it does something to our nervous system that then acts on every other time that we have had to be hypervigilant or on on guard, maybe uh, trying to predict a caregiver's moves when we were a kid because we needed to stay safe and maybe they they were really unstable and we didn't know whether we were safe or not because we were a child. So that activated something within us um, that we might not even cognitively understand because it might have been from so far back that it's only held in the body and not up in the logic and cognitive process of the mind. So (laughs) that's why I find movement to be the most effective way to really help people work through trauma. Um, That being said, you want to be with someone who's going to be um, aware of what trauma responses are and how to kindly work with your body and your nervous system Um, so that relationship and that communication is really important, or you could get re-traumatized, right? You could go into just a total panic if you're trying to force your body to do something that your body is not ready for, for very many reasons. So (laughs) my first tip would be finding a way where you can feel safe moving. Um, and we can talk more about what that might look like, but also to begin that somatic practice of starting to check in and listen to what actually feels okay with me what does it feel like when I am not panicky in a state of fight or flight um just totally disconnected and frozen what does that actually feel like in my body oh and I that's about
0: long process. (laughs) I know. I know. So don't worry, audience that's watching us and or listening, right? We're going to get to how you can get in touch with Lauren. If you want that one-on-one, she's also starting a really cool program in the fall that you may want to have some information on and just be on her email list. Okay. I want to address the, this definition of trauma. Like what I've discovered is any time in your past where you felt powerless, And then you had to come up with some form of script in your head to feel empowered, even if it meant you had to make a judgment on yourself. So most children, right, we're not we're not born with power. Most of us, we're nonverbal. We have to depend on adults to take care of us, adults who are aware enough and present enough to anticipate our needs and or at least read our signs. So I'm sorry, but you've all been a baby. You've had some form of this trauma or this powerlessness where you had to come up with some type of subconscious understanding of why is this happening? Why am I still in my dirty diaper for seven hours? Or why have you not figured out I my tummy hurts? Yeah, And we had to come up with this because of the NLP approach that I use. It's, taking away that unconscious script that was useful useful to us at that time
1: mm-hmm. and
0: redirecting it because we, everyone's coming to this realization that our mind is super, super powerful. Yeah. And we really need to find ways to understand there's an unconscious underlying yeah. uh, feedback loop and decision-making that's quicker than our conscious mind is even aware of. Right? Yeah. And I really love the fact that you were talking about how our bodies hold all of the the memories of trauma. It really does. There's so many research now going on and, mm-hmm. and similar to what we were saying about the body being a sentient being, right? Yeah, We've got this correlation of the neuroscience of dance being yeah. studied now, right? Because it's one of the few things that unites all parts of your brain, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus when we're in trauma response, which is either fight flight, Uh, freeze or fawn so Mm -hmm. folks it's not just fight or flight anymore lauren was keeping it simple but it's four things that we could be doing so if you're in fawn people like what's fawn well fawn is when you're like yesing someone even though you don't want to be there and you don't agree that is a trauma response y'all where you're like people pleasing just to not be in danger anymore correct lauren yeah that kind of things and i love how you were talking about the body Similar to the book, the body keeps score. You Mm want to be with someone who's informed. Like, how do we how do we know that? Like, how do we know? Because sometimes, like you said, to move or to put someone else in control of telling us what to do in a movement type class Mm -hmm. can bring that on. We always talk about mm, uh, teachers of movement in any way will be like, well, that those they they'll I've heard conversations where it's like, well, they're acting like I'm their mother. Or, right? Yeah. Or she's not my mother. Or why does she let me let me down? You know, my mother let me down. And I, I regarded this teacher like my mother, you know? What are some um, just simple two or three st- things that a person new to movement can be aware of trying movement? Mm-hmm. Especially, and also how would they have an idea of this teacher being more of a trauma-informed movement instructor? Yeah. You know, that's such
1: a great question, and I think one of the things that stands out to me is that teacher's ability to communicate and get consent, because um, historically, the the Western, uh, for lack of a better word, Western kind of Eurocentric forms of dance, um, historically, consent re- wasn't really a big part of that conversation. For some time, there was a, a view of Um, A very hierarchical approach, right? So the teacher knows best and they have the right to, you know, manipulate your body and touch your body to make sure that uh, you're doing it correctly. And sometimes that's a safety concern. They're trying to make sure that they keep you physically safe. However, When you go in, especially as someone later in life who maybe doesn't consider themselves a dancer or a mover, you're really vulnerable, right? You're bringing your body and all of your body's stories into the room. And so the first thing that I look for is if the teacher communicates with me before engaging with something like touch or asks for permission, um, and there's ways that that can be nuanced because sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes you might be able to tell that they are respecting you by their nonverbal presence, but de- definitely if they're able to communicate what they're about to do and check in with you first, that's a really good sign. That's a green flag for me <laughs> uh, when I go for myself into a dance class or a movement class of any kind. Um, A couple of other things would be, um, as you think about that hierarchical (laughs) model that's really pervasive in many forms of education in the States at least, a really great green flag for me is when the teacher gives me permission to listen to my own experience and my own body. Because, as much as that teacher in many ways is acting as the expert and the authority, that teacher is not the expert or authority on me mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I need. They don't know about my birth injury, you know, that makes my arms behave differently than um, maybe someone else's arms because I know about that. I know what my range of motion is. I know what feels safe and what doesn't, but that teacher doesn't. And that humility and that willingness to surrender a bit to your body's needs for me is another green flag. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that um, in in the training that I offer for folks about who are dance instructors who want to become more trauma-informed, I help them understand what a bit of trauma could look like. So not just the model we've been given in, you know, Hollywood, but also what fight, flight, freeze, and fawn might look like in the dance studio, because it could look like something that would be really disruptive to a dance studio. If someone just storms out of your class, it can be quote unquote disruptive. And then that student can be viewed as, you know, being a bad student. (laughs) However, People who are trauma-informed might understand that there might be something else going on and they have a different awareness. Um, If something like that were to happen in the dance studio, they might check in with that student, offer some grounding tools and be able to keep the classroom environment feeling safe because they understand that there might be something else going on other than that student just acting up. Um, So that to me is what people can start to look for. All of those require though, checking in with yourself and seeing how you feel, right?
0: (sighs) Okay, folks, if you're in, I'm I'm leaning into my, I'll hold it up (laughs) in case people watching the YouTube video. If you teach people any type of movement, including something like martial arts, you need to take Lauren's class please sign up for her only because here where we are my my daughter has taken martial arts classes where they thought nothing of grabbing her leg because she's very super flexible from rhythmic and when she's like you didn't ask for because they've learned from me you didn't ask for permission you are not allowed to touch me and for them to make a joke about it and Oof. she never went back to that teacher because she's like, no, first of all, I have injuries you're not aware of because I can do things you can't even fathom in your body. And I've trained with abusive teachers at Lake Plastic Olympic Training Center already for hours before I even hit puberty. <laughs> so God. I really know what I can and cannot do, right? And this is really people have to come and do training that you offer to even check themselves because yeah. we tend to... Forget it's all about the instru- the students, not about us as the instructors, right? It's right. It's we're very lucky that this person trusts us to come into the space. It's not an entitlement thing. Yeah, I know mean, we don't want the teachers to be beat up and run over. We're not talking about that, right? We're just right. saying this is this. It's an agreement that we're going to trust each other. Because I've noticed even when I was going through my cancer treatment, right, and I've seen you during my cancer recovery. Yeah. There's such an exchange of energies and it all depends on it's led by the instructor. Like, okay. So y'all like Lori and I have performed on stage before, right. Yeah. Before we went off in these different tangents that ended up being parallel in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I remember the intensive instructor, cause we were going into a performance y'all like it was an intensive thing. Right. And she was, she was handling kittens like on stage because people are very, we all come with our, internal dialogues and what we can and cannot do and there would be times she would go over choreography an extra 10 times in this very gentle way I felt because Literally, there was one or two of us who were never on count, on the wrong foot. And it was, I felt, because I think it was explained to me, she was also the slower person in mm. her trio when she was becoming famous that could never get it, and she was shamed for it. Mm. So in this group setting, she always held space and would, until it got maybe to the 30th time, she might say to the one person who was making, you know, unable to keep up. The other 29 times, it was, all right, I see we're not 100% together. Let's practice this again, right? I don't know if you remember that experience. I was like, that's amazing. Because at that time, I remember talking to her two days before the intensive going, I don't know if I can perform because, you know, I'm still in recovery. I'm still going through the treatments. Mm-hmm. I think I was still getting infusions every other week. So uh, I was really worried about my neuropathies in my legs. I couldn't keep up with you all. I mean, y'all got Lauren glided. She glowed on that stage. Either way, I was still going through cancer treatment. And I remember her saying, no, no, Jenny, you can tell me the day of the performance, if you're doing it with us or not, and we will adjust. And I went, whoa. Right? Because yeah. I've been in other situations, you know, Notice I'm, keep, I'm keeping it nameless, right? Where the teacher was not just elitist and ableist, but she also empowered her students who were not in any way trained in pedagogy to make decisions on who was performing on stage and who was not, yeah. Lauren. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. A contrast, right? Big contrast, yeah. Because I'm betting that in those moments, your body just by picking up on the energy of that teacher her intent her communication i bet that your body could tell you this is a safe place we can we can dance and that makes a huge difference because if you are constantly worried about the ramifications or like the shaming or any anything like that about what would happen if you just took care of a very reasonable need you know um that's 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 a red flag, <laughs> but your body communicating to you this feels safe,
0: green flag. <laughs> yes, I love that, Lauren. Um, I was just at an intensive with someone who is an American living in Cairo, Egypt, coming back to LA to teach more Egyptian-based stylizations, and I loved how she started the whole thing ready. So it's 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 permeating from that very first donna here wave I feel right where she literally this this instructor now they was like look I'm going to teach you some moves understand this dance form is actually improvisation there's no such thing as choreography I'll still teach you some choreographies however remember what I teach you it's going to look different and feel different on my body than yours so you've got to con- constantly check in and go, I'm not gonna look exactly like her. I just want to make sure I feel what she's telling me she's feeling and maybe I can replicate it in some form in my body. There's constant check-ins versus in the past. You know, it was always no, you need to look like this. Your hips need to go down like this, like mm-hmm. a ballet thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that awareness. You know, it's exciting. Yeah.
0: And and again yeah. Lauren and I are speaking from a place where we started this journey years ago, right? So that very beginning of it is just being in your body. What's yeah. a one quick tip you could give our audience how to be in their body
1: like oh, right gosh. now,
0: listening to like, what's a Like what, what's one thing they could do to get into their bodies right now versus like in their heads?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So one quick offering that I always give people because it would have helped me if I had learned this at one point, is um, I'm going to hold my hands up so that if you see this on the screen later, you'll see it, but you can actually rest your hands in your lap so that it's really relaxed. Um, I'm going to invite each person to, if it feels safe, close your eyes, and if not, you can just look down so you're not distracted. We're going to inhale and just gently reach the fingertips out. And when you're ready to exhale, you'll just draw the fingers in. So we're just inhaling like you're kind of a flower opening, blossoming, and exhaling, just closing that flower up. And we'll do that a couple more times, just focusing on the natural pace of the breath. And as you're doing that, you can choose whether you keep that movement going or whether you just allow the hands to rest and focus on the breath. But notice if you feel just a little bit more present in your fingertips, in the inside of your palm, the skin of the hand. Notice maybe you could feel a little buzzing of energy in your muscles. And then you can just kind of take that awareness, whatever you've discovered, and shift it around to different parts of the body, maybe going up the arms into the torso and just noticing what you find with a non-judgmental lens. So curiosity, what's
0: happening there?
1: And then when I'm ready to transition from that, a lot of the time I'll kind of wiggle the fingers, move a little bit. Cause for me, when I pay attention to my body, then I go, Oh, Oh, there's some, some, little areas that could wiggle and feel better. And then I might look around the room and ground to make sure I'm kind of here and present. And the reason why I add that is because um, for many people doing big giant movements might feel a little scary, but just that movement, if you connect it with your breath, it can connect mind, body, and breath, which is really different than forcing yourself to try to sit still, um, and, and seeing if you can all of a sudden be meditating, you know, <laughs> which is what I tried to do in my early 20s and it didn't work. <laughs> but using a tiny bit of movement for many of us, especially if you're more kinesthetic, or um, I'm gonna go ahead and say if you have some uh ADHD, maybe some different neurodivergent minds really appreciate some of that movement to discharge the energy. But there's a difference between discharging the energy in a way that kind of might bring your energy up. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm like flinging my hands around, (laughs) but when we slow down to match our breath, it's really a bit more connected to your whole self. If that makes sense.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. I love this. Y'all listen. So Mm -hmm. what's the best way for us to be in your space, Lauren? I would love to have you in my space. (laughs) Um, So I have
1: uh, Instagram, which is my name, Lauren Elise Peterson, which is where I share a lot of this content. Um, My website is also laurenelisepeterson.com. I'm on Facebook under the same name where I have a um, Facebook group where I lead things like this occasionally. And then um, I'll make sure that you have in my links, my email list, because of course, These days, it's really nice to make sure that people can connect outside of social media in case something funky happens
0: as it sometimes does. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, because this podcast will go out on platforms in addition to being on YouTube. So we'll make sure I'm just going to point dramatically. You look for her here. (laughs) Put the link here, my peoples. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much, Lauren. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And I'm so excited that the Dance to Heal audience gets to know you because you're bringing so much healing to the world. And thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be able to be, in general, continuing to know you after all these years, but also getting to see what you're bringing to your audience and sharing the gift of, Movement as a way to help people heal.
0: Yes, I think between you and I, we'll get the whole world dancing, whether or not they they want. Yeah, to. In some way, <laughs> in some way. All right, thank you so much, y'all. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dance to Heal with Jenny C. Cullen. Come back next time to hear stories of recovery through movement and learn more ways that you can move your body. To work with me and continue your journey, visit outsideinrecovery.com. Are you ready to move?